0: All right, well, we are starting a new series this morning called Sabbath, Um, and hopefully we're going to demystify a little bit this really official-sounding word, you know, Sabbath. I mean, if I I reflect back on maybe when I was a kid or whatever, when you hear Sabbath, you know, a, a lot of my life growing up, the first church we really went to, you dressed up for church. Like, it was suits, it was ties, it was like... And it meant, church meant Sunday morning, Sunday night. You better be sure we were back there Wednesday night. Like, like Sabbath kind of meant something. And I think there was some special stuff in that. I don't want to diminish it. But like, Sabbath isn't meant to sound like something that we're obligated to do. Sabbath is an invitation to rest. And God takes that invitation so seriously that he actually made it a command. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. So um, to kind of kick things off, um, um, I want to just say a couple things personally up front to you guys really clearly. And I'll, hopefully I'll remember to mention some books along the way that y'all can dive into. But I just have to say to you guys, for me personally, this issue of Sabbath and rest is a big issue for me, um, I had to learn this because I was paying the toll because I ignored this for a long time. Some of it I just didn't know at all. Some of it I didn't really fully understand. And so for me, the journey of a lot of this stuff started probably around 2011, 2012, when I just was feeling maybe a little burnout. I wasn't sure what words to put on it, but I knew something was off. And I was recommended two books, One of them that we'll reference a bit this morning is a book called Margin by Dr. Richard Swenson, not Swanson, not Ron Swanson, Richard Swenson. Um, And so I would encourage you all to read that. The other book that I was encouraged to read was called Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero. And I just have to confess to you, I never made it past the first five pages. And I always intended to go back to it, I never did. The reason why is I started reading it And he was describing me, and I couldn't even read the words on the page through my tears. Like, it was exposing how broken I was. And I just, I had to put the book. I was like, I can't even read this right now. This isn't encouraging to me. This guy's just poking my wound, is what it felt like. I've always intended to go back to it. It It's probably a great book. I just couldn't. Eventually, I mustered up the ability to pick up margin and read it, and so I've been referencing back to it again here recently in preparation for this. So those are are a couple books you may check out. Another one we'll mention this morning is is very specific about technology and how much it disconnects us from our families and how much it rips us off from rest. We use entertainment and screens as a substitute for rest, and they don't refresh us. So there's a great book by um, Andy Crouch, Called the TechWise Family. You could check that one out. So I'll mention some others along the way. Those are a couple we'll get into this morning. Um, But I'm speaking from a personal place. And I just want to encourage you guys. If you're well rested, great. I hope that you get some encouragement and maybe some intentionality of how to how to stay living that way. But chances are, if you're an American, if you're living in this country, at least on some level, You've gotten sucked into our cultural way of doing things, and you don't know how to rest well, or maybe you know how to rest well and you just don't do it. And so, my hope is that we'll be equipped and encouraged along the way. So, let me pray one more time. I'm going to start with a little little story from yesterday, actually. Um, so, Lord, one more time, we invite you to come, not only to be our teacher, but God, would you would you help us understand this mystery? not that you just want us to have rest, but that you are our rest. Jesus, I pray that that would become so real to us. God, you you worked to the uttermost so that you could be our ultimate rest. God, I pray that would get down into our very bones. That we would learn to be people who work, absolutely. We're called to work. We could play and enjoy life and have adventure. But God, we we would learn to rest well, that it would sustain us for the long haul. God, would you do that miracle in our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we had the opportunity yesterday, we've got some dear friends of ours in from Nashville that were hanging out with us, some lifelong friends, and We decided to load up and take all our kids and head out to Townsend and go tubing on the little river. Anybody ever done that? This is actually like our second time already this summer, which is crazy. We got to go with just our oldest two like a week ago. And so we were like, we got to go back. It's a blast. So we go tubing and we got to do a couple different parts of the river, river. And there's this one spot on this upper part of the river we were doing where we were getting tipped out of our tubes. And like me in particular, I I wish it was on video because we would just show it. Yeah, it was hilarious. But I went full, head over heels, legs up in the air, like rolling through this little, it's not really a waterfall, but like you kind of go down like that. (laughs) But that was enough to send me head over heels. And so, I mean, we had a blast, but we're getting thrown around a little bit. But one of the things that was was so funny to watch, is my daughter Abby. Abby did not have a care in the world. She had no sense of how stressed she should have been at how potentially dangerous of a situation she was in. She was just lazing, hanging out. She'd cruise along and get stuck on a rock, and she'd just kind of look back and just sort (laughs) of smile and wave. It's like, Dad's going to float down and dislodge me from the rock. And so just didn't care at all. Do you know, I started thinking about this this morning, she's the only person that never flipped. The whole day, she's the only one that didn't flip over. She just was letting the river take her where it would go and was along for the ride. In fact, our last trip down the river, she's so at rest, she's laying her head on the side of the tube, sucking her thumb and like falling asleep. (laughs) And the rest of us are like holding on for dear life, rescuing each other from the rocks. And I just... I felt like last night the Lord was just showing me, like, that's a picture of rest. She was just along for the ride. And she knew if she got stuck, dad was gonna take care of it. (laughs) Most of the falls that were happening for my kids is when they were trying to rescue themselves from being stuck. And they were trying to stand up and get out. And then they got in trouble and got bashed on the rocks. But Abby got it. I'm just gonna sit and wait. Dad'll send me on my way and we'll be good. And the Lord's just like, Jake, that's it. We, we need to rest in him. Um, so that book, Margin, I'll, I want to do three things this morning. Um, we're going to get more into the meat of this series as we go a little further along. But this morning, we're going to look at our need for rest. And then we're going to look at our source of rest. And then hopefully, we'll grapple a little bit with the purpose of rest. That'll, that'll unfold more as the series goes, but we'll at least start that this morning. The need for rest, our source of rest, and the purpose of rest. So here we go. Um, the first thing I want to do is just open up with a, a quote. Um, this is taken from the book Margin by Dr. Richard Swenson. I already mentioned it, and here we go. This is a little bit from that. He's talking about our American culture today. He says, we live with unprecedented wealth and all it brings. We have leisure. Entertainment, convenience, and comfort. We've insulated ourselves from the unpredictable ravages of nature. Yet stress, frustration, and oftentimes even despair unexpectedly accompany our unrivaled prosperity. A little further along, he says, something's wrong. People are tired and frazzled. People are anxious and depressed. People don't have the time to heal anymore. I don't know about you. That, that was true in my life. It has been true in my life. I'm, I'm learning this. I don't wanna teach this from a place of, hey, I've got some stuff figured out I wanna share with you guys. I'm saying I'm on a journey of learning to rest better and to, to trust Jesus as I'm going down the river of life. But this is a real thing. I think one of the things that confused me the most that I could not figure out when I realized that I was burnout and depressed is I couldn't answer the question why. I looked at my life and thought, there's nothing obvious wrong. I, I'm, listen, I'm a broken person who sins, but I wasn't in some huge sin or error that needed to be corrected. My, I had an awesome wife. I have an awesome wife. It's not past tense. I have... An awesome wife. We have a great relationship. I've got wonderful kids. I was, I was in a career doing what I wanted to do with my life. There were so many things that were just right and good, and I couldn't figure it out. It didn't make sense. And I, I think this is part of the problem that he's diagnosing is something's off, something's wrong. Even the very things that are hard work and, and the benefits that we have living in this country, those things that it earns for us, we aren't able to slow down and enjoy them. We miss them. And, and we end up, like he describes, stressed, tired, frazzled. I mean, I'd finish the weekend and feel like I was more exhausted than ever going into Monday morning. Anybody ever felt like that? Instead of feeling like ready and excited, it was just like, I don't know if I can make it through another week. These, this issue, the, the one of the things he addresses very directly is that, <laughs> That our culture has no room for margin. We don't know how to create extra space. We live everything to the max, if not beyond the max. And so what happens is we fail to rest properly. See, it's not just about rest. Some of you guys are already thinking like, oh, cool. Jay's going to talk to us about rest. Great. But like, how? I would if I could. Where do I find the space? Where do I find the time? And so One of the things this particular book is all about, but that I believe is something biblical that we'll see as we go along is I can't rest if I don't create the space for rest. I have to create the margin. That issue of margin, it has to do with our calendar. It has to do with our bank account. It has to do with our mental and spiritual reserves. You might feel like you have a week where you're not physically that active, but your mind doesn't ever turn off. You're thinking about a million things that you're you're trying to arrange or take care of. Your your job is super complicated and demanding. Just running and managing your household, there's never a break. There's always more. I'll never forget... There was this, uh, it was this simple little thing, but um, this guy I've looked up to for a long time, y'all have heard me mention it before, Dr. Mark Rutland, um, sitting in one of his lectures he was given one time, and he was, he was talking about a very specific role, a very specific job, but man, I think it applies all over the place. But he was talking about the role of a custodian. What's a custodian's job? And he said, almost every custodian I've ever met believes that their job is to keep things clean. Any any moms in here want to relate to like your jobs to keep the house clean? That's not your job. If you think that's your job, then anyone that messes things up becomes what? The enemy. The custodian's job is to get a place ready so people can come have fun and mess it up. That's their job. It's for the people. The people can come and mess it up, and then it's like, oh, cool, now I get to get it ready again for somebody to come and mess it up tomorrow. That's what it's for. Listen, that is bigger than being a custodian. If you're like me, one of the reasons I have trouble resting is that in my mind, the work never stops. My favorite thing is when a project is completed and I can check it off. How long is that project gonna stay completed? Or if that one really is completed, don't you know the very next moment, there's five more waiting on you? Part of our problem is, like, I don't know that we've ever come to embrace the fact that the work never stops. It's a rhythm of life. It's always going to be there. And that can feel defeating, right? Like, oh, gosh, the work's never going to stop. Well, no, if that's, a, if that's an important, valuable part of life, it's a rhythm of life, I can actually accept that it's okay to then stop. Because there's nothing to complete. I, I realize there are occasional deadlines, but I'm saying we create arbitrary ones that don't exist. The, and so the work never stops. We never feel like we can rest. Even when we're trying to rest, we're thinking about the stuff we're not getting to. Have you ever had a Saturday where you finally stopped and you spent the whole day feeling guilty that you were stopping? I've done that more times than I care to admit. And so even the way we view work, I mean, we're going to spend maybe not a whole Sunday on work, but we're going to spend a portion of this talking about work because because often when we talk about rest, some of the the most driven overachievers among us immediately start thinking about the lazy people that just want to take advantage of not working hard and that somehow rest means I'm lazy and I don't work. No, you can work hard. You can play hard and you can rest appropriately. There's a balance to all of it. So um, Dr. Swenson identifies several key factors that create this problem of margin. These are cultural problems, but you may even be able to identify in your own life where some of these in particular have popped up. So I'm going to kind of work my way through these here. Um, One of the biggest ones is this idea of progress. Progress. Now, we see that played out culturally big time. Um, We progress towards certain aims. And the most obvious things to focus on when we're thinking about progressing and moving forward is tangible, physical things we can see. And so we spend a lot of time identifying where we can get, what we can accomplish, where we're trying to go, and we work really hard towards those aims and then move to the next one. And then we live in a unique society where where progress is happening on a technological level, and so it's expounding exponentially. Like things are just flying up at a rapid pace. If we were to teleport ourselves back to the early 1900s from 1900 to 1950, in that 50-year span, how much technology changed, how much the forms of communication and travel changed, you go a couple hundred years before that, and it... It hardly changed at all, like tiny little increments. Now it's like every, have you ever thought about what didn't exist just five years ago or 10 years ago? It's expanding so quickly and we haven't stopped to think about the impact that it has on us as human beings. In my own lifespan, how many times do I have to adapt to progress? <laughs> but it's not just that. Part of the issue is, is that Even if we did learn to adapt to the flow of progress at a rate that's reasonable for us, we tend to ignore other areas that we need to progress in. And so some of the most important parts of us that need to progress, that need to grow, that need to be healthy, get ignored for the sake of less important things. And so things like progressing spiritually, having mental well-being, emotional well-being, relational strength and well-being. Those suffer for the sake of progress. In fact, some of the very people and circumstances that we're, we're sacrificing for to progress, for example, in a career, they end up dying on the altar of that progress. We miss out on the very people we're trying to create space and time for. And so we just, we get stuck. This, is, this permeates our culture. We celebrate that kind of, of busyness. It's almost like bragging rights to say how busy you've been. Like, I'm, I've had a lot of conversations with people that they use it almost as a point of pride of how many hours they work. And I don't view it that way anymore. I feel bad, bad for them when somebody's like bragging about how much time they're spending working. Like, that's harmful for us. So Progress. Okay, a second area that, that affects our ability to have margin and rest is the issue of stress. Stress, we, it's just something we carry with us. The obvious one is what we would call distress. Things are hard, they're difficult, my life's demanding, it's, it's draining, and I just feel it. I mean, don't your shoulders just kind of do this when you hear the word stress? It's like collapsing in on myself. That stress affects us beyond just mental. It ends up affecting our bodies. But our stress wears us out. But there's another kind of stress. There's not just distress, there's eustress. There's there's stress that comes from positive experiences. This was one of the things that was most confusing to me. I got to be a part of a church that was exploding in growth. And I don't just mean numerically, like awesome things were happening. People's lives were being changed. People were finding Jesus and finding life in him. And I got to be on staff there and work with people. And you just, you just saw like the growth and the joy. And there was energy, man. People were just thrilled to come be a part of this community where life was happening. And what I didn't realize was happening is I never stopped. And because it was fun, I didn't realize that it was still having a toll. Even even positive things that we enjoy doing, if we are on the go all the time, you will pay that toll. This isn't just just a message for people who have low reserves and know they have low reserves. Some, Some people need to hear this who think they're doing great. They have high energy. They like having activity. They like having a lot going on. This isn't about comparing ourselves to each other. Me and Grant don't need to have the same rest schedule. But we each need to have some element of rest in our lives. And so both positive and negative stress, we have limits. And whatever our personal limits might be, when we run to the max, we lose margin and we can't rest. Let me try to go, go through this a bit more quickly. Um, change. We've had a lot of people in our church that have moved in the last year. How many of you guys have moved into a new place in the last year? Yeah. Yeah. And the ones that aren't here raising their hands are probably at home still dealing with the repercussions of moving and remodeling. There's been a lot of us. Change is good, especially if it's change we're getting to choose. There's change that happens that we don't like, but there's some change we choose. I want to step into this new thing. But the very process of change causes a lack of margin. It drains you. Even the best change still involves letting something go. You lose something when you change. We love our new house. We love it. We also lived 2 seconds from three or four really close friends and we just walked to each other's houses and there was a little restaurant right down the road and we could walk over there if we wanted and like there was a pool in that neighborhood. We don't have one in our new one. Like there are things that we feel the loss of. It hurts. It has a toll. It It's important to recognize and acknowledge change means you lose something. It affects you. Um, The very process of change is demanding. Actually, moving, I'm just using moving as an example. We experience change in so many ways, but the process of moving is painful. I gotta load this stuff up, I gotta get it there. Nobody tells you that there's all these little details that never quite work out right and fall apart. And now it's like, where do I put this stuff? Do I put it in storage? Do I leave it in that truck for a few more days? Like, it's complicated, it's difficult, it's exhausting. And even once we're settled, there's a whole adjustment period into a new way of life. We live in a culture that changes all the time. It wasn't that long ago where you would like be born and raised in the same house and never move. There are elders in my life that have not moved near the amount of times me and my family have moved. It's just sort of been a normal thing for us. We're on like our fourth or fifth house since we got married. We don't think about how often we change in our culture and the impact that it has on us. Okay, speed affects us. The pace of life, um, it takes a toll. Going at a high speed. Foot on the gas pedal all the time. Another one is complexity. Complexity dramatically affects us mentally when there's a lot of things going on with a lot of details and a lot of life to arrange. This can be in a work environment, this can be in a home environment. Things are more complex than they used to be. I've got several friends I've joked with, like if I ever stopped being a pastor, I would just like go mow grass somewhere. (laughs) Like I would just be outside, let the sun shine on me, low detail, don't have to think about a bunch of complicated things. And it's like, I probably would technically work harder physically. But see, we don't think about the toll that life takes on us mentally. It's mentally draining to keep up with a lot of complicated things that are going on. And it drains us. Not only speed and complexity, intensity, being in a high demand environment where a lot is expected of you. Listen, CEOs deal with this and moms, y'all deal with this. If you're a mom at home with, with a kid or some kids, that is a high-intensity environment. I, I thought for sure I was going to hear some amens on that one. Thank you, Kristen. That's a high-intensity environment. It, dem, it has huge demands on you. If you don't figure out a way to get a break from that, rest from that, it just zaps you. And so ultimately, all this adds up to overload. Listen, we all have minute, um, limits. We all have limits. And if we don't adjust our lives, if we don't learn what our limits are, and then back off from that. See, some of us, if our limit was here at the edge of this carpet, and we're kind of out here, we're like, okay, maybe I can kind of rein it into here. This isn't rest. Rest is back here somewhere, and it's all this, this space. So there, there's a chance that some of us might have to make that That's a leap. That's a big adjustment. But it's necessary. Uh, One more group of quick stats, and then we'll we'll move into this a bit more and start talking about our source for rest. But I just want to make sure we've grappled with this. Here's a couple statistics from the Barna group. These are pulled from Andy Crouch's book that I referenced earlier, The TechWise Family. Um, So they did a set of polls here. Um, The first question was, um, just how often you set aside time for rest, all right? So this is just a question that was asked. These were specifically um, people, these were adults who at least one of them worked full-time and that had at least a couple of kids. So it's, it's kind of the typical American family is sort of the, the focus group, if you will. Um, 12% of them, 12%, set aside time each day for an activity that recharges them. Only 12% of people typically set aside time each day for an activity that recharges you. 16% set aside time each day to spend alone. That's a a bigger deal than you may realize. We need time alone. So only 16% consistently set time aside for that. Only 14% of those polled said they took one day of rest per week. 14%. It's actually worse than that. Because then they asked that 14% how they spent their day of rest. 37% said they spent it doing non-enjoyable work that just needed to be done. So they counted a Saturday doing all the stuff they don't really want to do as their day of rest. And they didn't rest. So that 14% is even lower. That's not all. Another 44% said they spent it doing enjoyable work. So they enjoyed it. That's good. That's a good step. But it was still work. Only 19% of the 14% said that they did no work at all. Now, my math, I don't know if it's right here. I checked it a couple times. I'm pretty sure. That means 2.7% of people actually take 1 day a week where they don't work. This is us. <laughs> we don't rest. We need it. We're desperate for it. Listen, you probably didn't even need any of that information to know that we struggle to get proper rest. But this is this is an epidemic, I believe. I've experienced it. I've watched my friends experience it. I see it culturally. We need to learn to rest. And thankfully, our source of rest isn't the same as our problem. Like our source isn't, well, there's a really big problem, so therefore we should rest. Even if we didn't know any of that information, we have a source of rest. God tells us we need it, and he creates it for us. Check this out. I love this. Some of this might be familiar to you, but I hope you catch this. Our source of rest. First and foremost, it's God himself who rested after his work. He set about in Genesis chapter 1 to create the world. And I really have no idea what he felt or experienced when he did that. But I know that he was able to just speak and things happened. So like I'm saying his work was probably a little more efficient than when I work. (laughs) He probably got a little more bang for his buck. And yet after six days of work, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, tells us, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And we think of the word holy as this really official word, and it it does signify something special. It means set apart. It means set apart. Here it is. It's special. I set it apart. I set it aside as something important and special and sacred, something worthwhile. And so he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God works and God rests. And he set aside a day that he called Holy, and he blessed it. This is a good thing. This is a valuable thing. It's a blessing for us to have a day of rest. So, God himself believed this was important. He took rest. I mean, he he stepped back after all his work. He actually reflected on it. He did that daily, and then at the end of the whole thing, he said, said, it's good every day, right? And then on the last day, he said, it's very good. And then he rested. He slowed down. All right? He invites us into that. Now, you might be thinking, all right, we're going to the Ten Commandments here, where he tells us, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. He actually brings up the Sabbath prior to the Ten Commandments. So to set the scene here, um, he's, he's helped rescue the people. He's brought them out of Egypt all right, Moses has helped lead them out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea and they've moved into just that wilderness desert wandering. And they've just been there for a short period of time and they've gone through this massive change and they're exhausted and they're hungry and thirsty. And so over the course of a chapter or two, it describes how he provided water for them and then manna shows up on the scene. And so in Exodus chapter 16, God describes how He's going to provide daily bread for them. He says it's going to show up on the ground every day, and every day you go and collect it, gather it up, and just collect what you need for today because it's actually not going to last. It's going to run out. It'll rot quickly. In fact, if you save it for tomorrow, by tomorrow it's going to have worms in it. So I'm giving you just what you need for today. And tomorrow I will give you just what you need for tomorrow. But he didn't stop there. He then said, this is all found in Exodus 16, he then said, on the sixth day, I'm gonna do a really cool miracle. I'm gonna give you a little extra on the sixth day, and on that day only, it will last. On all the other days, the same bread won't last. But on that day, the bread will last one extra day, and so collect enough to get you through day six, And day seven, because on day seven, it's a Sabbath, and you're going to rest and not work. Let's pick up the story. Exodus 16, 23. So Moses is now delivering this information to God's people. Moses said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. Get the cooking done today. It's leftovers tomorrow. Tomorrow and lay aside, and all that is left over, literally, it's there in the scripture, leftovers, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. I'm thankful that leftovers are biblical. I just wanna stop right there for a minute. I'm a huge leftovers fan. All right, so save it for tomorrow. All right, great. Down to verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is a human problem. Even when we're given the opportunity to rest, we don't take it. We find some way to fill the calendar, and we don't take it. God's saying, listen, you guys are so stubborn with this issue of rest. I have to make it a commandment, and then I have to make sure you're going to get nothing out of that day. They went out to work on a day when they weren't supposed to and found nothing there. Guys, this is a biblical principle. You can see this in your finances. You can see this with your calendar. When we take him at his word, (coughs) excuse me. Mm, That came out of nowhere. All right. When we take him at his word, he covers it. He covers it. When we take him seriously, God, you're telling me, that if I put in a little extra work to make a space for rest, that if I'll put in that work, you'll take care of what I need. You'll give me each day what I need and on my day of rest, I can truly rest. He says, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. If rest, kind of a first step of rest for us is it's an act of trust. It's an act of trust that he's got it. It's an act of trust that it's good for me. It's an act of trust to say that if I were to go work when I should have rested, it will actually produce nothing. I will find nothing there. It will actually do more harm than good. I have seen this principle work in my life. If I fill up my whole week and think I can get more done by doing more on more days, I get less done, I feel more tired. I'm miserable while I'm doing it all. But when I slow down and sleep properly and get the rest that I need, I discover that in less time, I get more done with a more positive outlook. This is hardwired into how he made us. We need to rest. And so we actually have to work at resting, we have to decide to do it. We have to purpose to do it because our natural bent is the same as theirs. This is the biblical description of all the stats we just went through. They knew they could rest and they went out and worked anyways. And God said, don't do that. And then finally, there's the law of rest. One last thing I want you to see here, the law of rest. In Exodus chapter 20, now verses eight and 11, this is in the midst of the 10 commandments that Moses is given. I just wanna read this to you. And then we're going to make a couple observations. All right, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember it. Don't forget it. Don't neglect it. And keep it holy. Remember it and keep it sacred. Set it apart. Rest. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He said, this is an ancient law. I'm giving you something today, but this goes back to the very beginning of time. This is an ancient law. Now, one of the first things I see here is it's countercultural. It goes against culture. He said, "It's going to be so important for you to do this that everyone in your sphere of influence, do this. If there's people who work for you, have them stop and rest." Listen, I want to get into some whole thing about chick-fil-A. <laughs> but like, they are successful. On a lot of levels, because they make some awesome chicken. (laughs) And some really good frosted lemonade. Do y'all ever have the frosted... Like, I've really trimmed back on a lot of sugar, but man, I break it for that frosted lemonade. All right. So they're they're good, but think about this. They take off Sunday, and they don't let their people work on Sunday. They put a Chick-fil-A in the new Atlanta football stadium that has other events, But the main event is the Falcons playing on Sundays. Guess who's closed? Chick fil A. They're they're closed in the stadium on Sunday for football games. They're that committed to this. And I'm sure there's a lot involved in their success and wise planning and all of that. But there's a biblical principle that they're following, and God honors it, and they're successful. Okay, so it's countercultural. We have to choose to go against culture to do this. And so God said, let it affect your, your realm of influence down to the level of people that work for you, even if your friend's in town staying with you. Hey, we're chilling out today. There's a law of rest here. The second thing I noticed, and I'll just challenge you to do this if you want to do the math, go back, open up Exodus chapter 20, and look at the Ten Commandments, and you tell me which one is the longest. By far, there are more words given to describing the Sabbath rest than any other command he gives us, even more than don't put other gods before me. He like unpacks it. He's like, this is a big deal. You need it. The last thing I want to note is its placement. Its placement. The first three, and some people roll this into it and say the first four commandments are directly related to our relationship to him. Have no other gods before me, have no idols, don't take my name in vain. They're very this direction. You get past the Sabbath day, and the next six are about these relationships honor your father and mother, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery. It's all here. Right smack in the middle of those two is this issue of rest. Our need for rest, I think it's one of the biggest obstacles. us properly relating to God and people. Almost without fail, when I mess up the most as a dad with my kids, it's when I'm short on rest. I'm irritable. I'm easily frustrated. I'm exasperated. And that's when I say and do the stuff I regret with my kids. Not blaming it all on that. I mean, I'm just being a jerk and sinning, but I I don't create the space and the margin to be present with them, and so I'm short with them. Rest, it's vitally important. I just wonder how many of our issues are are rooted in something we don't even think about. I've often had this deep desire to like, be a better husband, be a better father, be more patient with people, see more of the fruit of the Spirit operating in my life. And then it's like, man, like my, I want to do that. My flesh seems to be working against me and sin's there. And I think there's an element of we struggle with that. Paul talks about that. But you know, the fruit of the Spirit, what his presence produces is this list that sounds very restful. Love, joy, peace. I'm patient with people. This is amazing. Well, I'm resting in him. I'm letting him come work in me and out of me And it changes the way I live. So I live from a place of rest. So God's the source of rest. We have a problem with rest. I want to wrap up here quickly talking about the purpose of rest. And so we're going to do this by looking at a story from the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Let's read this together. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, This is interesting. He's going to start flipping stuff on its head a little bit here. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He's saying, listen, the Sabbath isn't about fulfilling this religious duty because God made you. There's something greater than the temple that's here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark's gospel tells this same story, and he adds an additional sentence. Mark 2, 27 and 28. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus says the Sabbath is a mercy. If you're hungry, guess what you do on the Sabbath? You eat. He fed his disciples. He says, hey, we can look back at the law and see this principle. He references David. That story is found in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. And the priest brings them the holy bread out of the temple to eat because they're hungry. They're tired and they're worn down. This is for the people. God's holiness is for people. What is sacred is for us. Rest is something he created to give us. It is a mercy that we can receive. And Jesus understood this. Don't make it a a principle that you have to slavishly follow. Don't add it to your list of work. Well, now Jake's talking about Sabbath. I guess I've got to figure out a way to make sure I never work on a Saturday again or whatever. No, like, it's a gift. We're his temple. It's a gift. Not only that, I think it's funny how God already sows these little seeds of, like, subversiveness. Because Jesus says something kind of random here. He said, "Um, have you not read in the Law and Prophets how on the Sabbath, the priests profane, uh, they work in the temple and profane the Sabbath, but they're held guiltless? You can actually find an example of that in Numbers 28, verse 9. One of the things that they're told to do is to perform common duties like sacrifices even on the Sabbath. That would be work that would be prohibited elsewhere. But God said, that's all right, they're allowed to do it on the Sabbath, no big deal. God's trying to teach us the Sabbath is for us. It's meant for us to enjoy. It was never meant to be a law that became a burden. It's meant to be a gift for man to enjoy. So, Jesus wants to feed the hungry and show mercy on the Sabbath. It's meant to satisfy us, is the the idea there. We're meant to be satisfied, okay? The same passage, he continues on. It's like he's after something here. He wants to make sure this message gets heard. The very next verse, verse 9. He went on from there and entered the synagogue. So now they're gathering for worship on the Sabbath, and they're all together in the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take a hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. It was so countercultural, the people of the day that set the tone of the day were furious with him over this. Why? Because he fed the hungry on the Sabbath, he gave the gift of mercy on the Sabbath, and he healed that which was withered and broken on the Sabbath. His rest. Is meant to satisfy and restore and heal. I find it interesting that the specific thing he healed was was a hand. He actually healed the guy's ability to go about his work on the Sabbath, healing, rest, refreshment. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to sit down and like read the Bible and see the story that he's telling because there's a classic passage that we quote all the time and it's the words of Jesus that he spoke right before this. Right before he lets his disciples break the Sabbath by being fed. Right before he heals this withered hand, if we flip back to chapter 11, the words he speaks right before this are come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This isn't just about getting a little more sleep. He wants our very souls to be at rest for us to be satisfied, for us to be healed and at peace. This isn't some small issue. It gets to the the heart of the gospel. He loves us and wants to touch us, and he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. As we go along in this series, there's gonna be some times where we have to learn to say the word No there's gonna have to be some times that we decide to sacrifice something. He doesn't say, I have no yoke. There is a burden, there is a yoke, but it's easy and it's light. The work that it might take us to build in some margin and to learn to find rest in him, deep, spiritual, satisfying rest, real, actual, physical sleep, He's got the whole gamut for us. And if we'll be willing to learn from him. See, I I can tell you already, it's gonna be easy to create excuses. It's gonna be easy to point to things in life that would rip us off from this. But if we'll let him, he longs to be our teacher. And he wants to teach us how to rest in him. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I want to give you some thoughts to consider (laughs) because this, you don't have to wait for these sermons. (laughs) We can start resting now, but I want to give you some thoughts to consider. I mean, my first question is just, do you need to learn to rest? Maybe wrestle with that a little bit. Is this something I need to learn to do better? And then just think about some things here. How often do you rest? If you're a note taker, you can write these down. If you're not, my notes are going to be online on like Tuesday. How often do you rest? Like, be brutally honest about it. Not just, I did pretty good last week. Like, how often do you rest? Is it consistent? Are you refreshed afterwards? Some of us might say, Hey, actually, I do consistently rest. And then we, if we honestly look at our life, we go, But I'm not refreshed when I'm done. That might be putting its finger on a different issue. When will you rest? Review your schedule and plan it. We put other things on the schedule. I'm having dinner with this person. I've got this appointment. i got to go here. i got to rest. I'm putting it in right here, and I'm not letting anybody have that space. It's what it's for. Schedule it. Consider what brings true rest. Ask yourself the question, what actually fills my tank? I don't want to get too in the weeds here because we're going to get really in detail further on, but... If you're married, odds are you guys rest in different ways, and if you're not careful, neither of you get rest. <laughs> or you go do something and one of you's rested by it, and the other one's not. <laughs> so some of this isn't an individual consideration. It requires some partnership. How What brings rest? And then finish this off by thinking, how will I make this happen? If you have to say no, say no. To some things, but how will you make it happen? There's some stuff to consider. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you purpose rest for us. You designed us to need it. You are the source of it, and we can learn from you how to be at rest. God, I, I thank you that you want to give us rest on every single level God, you want us to have margin to enjoy relationship with you and with others around us. God, you, you want us to rest physically. And you want us to have that, Lord. You want us to have mental rest, emotional rest. God, you want us deeply, spiritually, to have rest in our very souls. And so, God, I pray we'd be honest with ourselves more than looking at our culture, that we'd, we'd look in the mirror. We look at our own homes and be honest about our need for rest. And Jesus, may we look to you and learn from you our source of rest. God, I thank you that you offer that gift, not as a burden, but as a mercy, to bring satisfaction and healing. Help us to say yes to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.